Hotel Delaware. Oh man, I want to tell you about the funniest money stuff item of like summer 2024. Here's what it will be. Elon Musk is going to ask Tesla Incorporated's board of directors to change its state of incorporation from Delaware, which just invalidated Musk's $55 billion pay package, to Texas, which loves Musk and is begging him to move and would probably let him pay himself whatever he wants. Tesla's board is going to be like sure yes of course, whatever you want. Then Tesla will ask shareholders to vote to approve the relocation, as Musk has already said it will do. Some shareholders will sue Tesla, asking a Delaware court to stop Tesla from moving. They might win? It cannot really be the case that a Delaware court can stop any Delaware corporation from moving its state of incorporation to Texas. But it might be the case that a Delaware court could stop Tesla from moving to Texas. Today the Wall Street Journal has a story previewing this news. Three powerful shareholders are trying to loosen Delaware's long-held grip over public companies. TripAdvisor, under media executive Greg Maffei, wants to reincorporate in Nevada, over the objection of minority shareholders. Billionaire Barry Diller is awaiting a ruling that could relax Delaware's scrutiny of transactions like the 2020 split of some of his online businesses. And Elon Musk, who reincorporated Twitter as X in Nevada last year, has said he would ask shareholders about reincorporating Tesla in Texas. The, the stuff about Musk and Tesla and Texas, sure. But I want to focus on TripAdvisor, because that is the real preview of what could happen with Tesla. TripAdvisor Inc. and its parent company Liberty TripAdvisor Holdings Inc. are Delaware public companies that are run and controlled by Greg Maffei, who has super voting stock and does uh, fun stuff with his voting power. He gets sued by shareholders sometimes and apparently wanted to reincorporate his companies to Nevada to get sued less. Nevada's corporate law seems to be friendlier to corporate officers and controlling shareholders, with broad protections for directors and officers in many cases that Delaware wouldn't, including involving improper personal gain, according to the journal. And the company's boards of directors considered moving to Nevada, and the directors decided it was a good idea, and they asked shareholders to vote to approve the move, and the shareholders approved. Well, Maffei approved, and he is supervoting shares. A majority of the independent shareholders voted against the proposals to move, but they passed anyway. But some shareholders sued to stop Maffei from doing this. Here is their complaint. The argument is essentially. Under Delaware corporate law, a company's board of directors and controlling shareholder have fiduciary duties to the ordinary shareholders. And they can't do something, even something otherwise legal, like reincorporating to Nevada, if, if it violates their fiduciary duties. Where the board and controlling shareholder have a conflict of interest, where they get something from a transaction at the expense of ordinary shareholders, then Delaware will review the transaction for entire fairness. The transaction is a breach of fiduciary duties and so not allowed, unless the court finds that it is entirely fair to the ordinary shareholders. Maffei and his board of directors get something out of moving to Nevada. They get to not be sued for doing creative stuff with their control of the companies, and this comes at the expense of the ordinary shareholders. They don't get to sue if Mafai does creative stuff to them. But the ordinary shareholders were not compensated for this, and voted against it, and the board did not have a special committee of independent directors to consider the move, it just did what Mafai wanted. So the move is surely not entirely fair to them. So a Delaware court can and should stop TripAdvisor and Liberty TripAdvisor from moving to Nevada so that Delaware can continue to keep an eye on MAFI for the benefit of the ordinary shareholders. And that kind of is how Delaware law works. 
In fact, this is more or less the same reasoning that a Delaware court applied last month to strike down Musk's pay package. Tesla's directors, and Musk, who the court found is the controlling shareholder of Tesla even though he doesn't own supervoting shares or a majority of the stock, have fiduciary duties to Tesla's ordinary shareholders. Conflicted transactions need to be entirely fair to those shareholders. Musk got something out of his pay package, options worth more than $55 billion, at the expense of ordinary shareholders, who got diluted. The ordinary shareholders did actually vote to approve the pay package, but the judge found that their vote was not fully informed. And the judge found that the pay package wasn't entirely fair to shareholders, basically, Musk wasn't worth what he was paid, so she blocked it. And Mafe doesn't really argue against this framework. Instead, his lawyers argue that there is no conflict of interest here, because Mafe and the directors want to move to Nevada for good corporate governance reasons, and they aren't getting any personal benefits. From their motion to dismiss, Plaintiffs ask this court to do something that has never been done before, prevent a corporation from leaving the state of Delaware notwithstanding its undisputed compliance with the provisions of the Delaware General Corporation Law that allow the corporation to do so. Section 266.6 of the DGCL gives corporations the right to leave Delaware and reorganize under the laws of another jurisdiction. Plaintiffs seek to limit that right, if not do away with it altogether. Specifically, plaintiffs argue that where, as here, a corporation decides to move from Delaware to a state that potentially provides officers and directors with greater protection from future litigation based on conduct that has not yet occurred, and thus claims that do not yet exist, the court should enjoin the move as a breach of the directors and, in this case, an alleged controller's fiduciary duty. Because there's no conflict, Maffei argues, the Delaware court should defer to the board's business judgment rather than conduct its own review of the fairness of moving to Nevada. Plaintiffs theorize that the directors were conflicted because there might be future board decisions that might give rise to litigation claims, and such claims might survive a motion to dismiss Miss in Delaware, but not in Nevada. As explained below, plaintiffs' speculation is too hypothetical and remote to constitute a unique benefit today. The amended complaint does not allege any existing or even inchoate litigation claim that the conversions would extinguish. Plaintiffs' hypothesized conflict arises from the mere possibility that the boards might take some unidentified action in the future, after the companies have moved to Nevada, that could give rise to a future stockholder claim. But the risk of a future unknown stockholder claim is one every board faces and is not sufficient to require entire fairness review, much less prevent a corporation from electing to move to another state. The amended complaint does not contain factual allegations supporting a reasonably conceivable inference that the directors or MAFI have a financial interest in the transaction or that MAFI would obtain some unique benefit from the conversions. And that's reasonable. But later this year, when we talk about Elon Musk moving Tesla to Texas, he won't be able to make that argument. He will have a very, very clear financial interest in the transaction. A Delaware court just struck down his $55 billion pay package. And even before that, he was going around posting that he wanted another enormous stock grant so that he can control at least 25% of Tesla's stock. And if he can't get it in Delaware, he'll go to Texas. I am sure that when Tesla actually asks its shareholders to approve reincorporating in Texas, it will have good lawyers write a proxy statement emphasizing the many corporate benefits of Texas, the importance of attracting and retaining talent and the value that Musk provides to Tesla. I don't even think that will be wrong, I think there is something odd, and perhaps shareholder unfriendly, 
about a Delaware judge striking down a pay package that Tesla's board and shareholders thought was a good idea. I just think that Elon Musk is not the most carefully lawyered guy in the world in his personal statements, and he will have made, he has already made, a very clear record proving that he wants to move to Texas so that he can make Tesla give him $75 billion worth of stock. So shareholders will go to the Delaware judge saying, Elon Musk tried to pay himself $55 billion, and you stopped him from doing that because it was unfair to shareholders. And now he is trying to move Tesla to Texas so that he won get rid of you, and two, pay himself $75 billion so you have to stop him again. And I think that is an argument that the Delaware judge might find compelling. I mean, she did stop Musk from paying himself $55 billion. Presumably this move will be even more offensive. And Tesla is a Delaware corporation, so it is subject to the orders of the Delaware court, even if those orders are where do you think you're going? Get back here, you little scamp. And so maybe Tesla really can't leave? Anyway, that's the news from six months from now. And I suppose when it actually happens, I will just write some comical imagined dialogue for Musk and say, see previous column. There are some risks to this thesis. Musk could appeal the decision about his compensation and win, and then he might lose interest in moving to Texas. I kind of think that he'll want to move even if he wins on appeal, though. Maffei could win such a comprehensive victory in the TripAdvisor case that nobody will even be able to argue that a court can stop Musk from leaving Delaware, so Tesla will just leave with no problem. Maffei could lose so comprehensively that Musk's lawyers will tell him you've got no shot at leaving Delaware, don't even bother, and he'll believe them and give that up. I assign 0% probability to this one. Moving to Texas might be a thing that Musk posts about but does not actually plan to do? I don't know, I think it's gonna happen. Last week, Musk moved Neuralink Corp, his brain implant company, from Delaware to Nevada, and he previously moved Twitter to Nevada and renamed it X. Those deals were easy, though. Those are private companies with smallish groups of shareholders, none of whom are all that jazzed to sue Elon Musk, so he can kind of do what he wants. Tesla is different. It does make sense that Musk would want to pursue his next idea at one of his other private Nevada companies, he just has a lot more control over them. I said last month that there is something awkward about a judge second-guessing the CEO compensation decisions of the board of directors of a $600 billion company, even if, yes, it's the board of Tesla. But that is nothing compared to how awkward it will be for a Delaware judge to prevent the company from leaving Delaware because Musk doesn't like Delaware judges. It seems like the world can't really work that way, that Delaware can't really prevent its companies from leaving. And yet, maybe? It's gonna be a fun time here at Money Stuff when it happens. Multi-strategy. I wrote the other day that Bill Ackman's hedge fund, Pershing Square LP, is kind of what you think of when you think of a hedge fund. But then I realized, in a footnote, that I needed to qualify that statement. I don't know what you think of when you think of a hedge fund. I think there are two main models. There is what I think of as the old-school classic hedge fund, like Pershing Square, where one high-profile manager makes a handful of concentrated high-conviction market bets using his natural talent and hard work and market experience and gut instinct. But then there is the newer model of multi-manager, multi-strategy hedge funds, or pod shops like Citadel or Millennium or Point72, that have a bunch of different portfolio managers, each making bets in some particular sector or strategy. Unlike the old-school managers, the pod shop portfolio managers don't usually go on television that much. Also unlike the classic funds, the pod shops are run on, as it were, scientific lines. I mean, the portfolio managers might trade on gut instinct, but they are managed scientifically. 
Each portfolio manager will generally be tasked with producing returns that are not correlated with the broader market or the sector she invests in. The consumer discretionary manager won't get a bonus just because consumer discretionary stocks do well. She'll only get paid if she buys the best consumer discretionary stocks and shorts the worst ones. She will be required to be more or less factor neutral, to run a portfolio that makes money on the strength of her ideas rather than on broad market trends. And her bosses will have quite sophisticated techniques to measure her performance and her skill, to neutralize standard market factors and to extract only alpha, only the returns to skilled investing. The appeal of the multi-manager funds to institutional investors is obvious. They can offer true alpha, true uncorrelated returns. They can tell allocators, okay, you can get your stock market exposure from stock index funds, your bond market exposure from bonds, your real estate exposure from buying real estate, whatever, and then you can diversify your portfolio by putting some money into our fund, and we'll just pay you 12% per year with very little volatility. This is not a pitch that appeals to everyone. Plenty of people want the charismatic, gut-instinct-driven single manager who might put all her money on one big bet that returns 300%. But it is a pitch that appeals to sober, sensible institutional asset allocators with a lot of money. Incidentally, one model of why Ackman is launching a public closed-end fund designed to appeal to U.S. retail investors now is precisely that institutional investors increasingly want the scientific multi-manager model, and the classic charismatic manager model is maybe a bit outdated but it's still popular with retail investors on Twitter slash X. There is, however, a downside for investors from all of this scientific management. The downside is that the multi-manager funds might get too good at scientifically analyzing performance and at attributing it to skill. The fund manager might be able to say something like, okay, this portfolio returned $47 million last year, of which $13 million is attributable to the analyst's research. $14 million to the portfolio manager's stock picking, $11 million to our firm's risk management, and $9 million to our investors' capital. And then the investors get the $9 million, and the fund manager and analysts and portfolio manager get the rest. If you get too good at measuring the returns to investment skill, you might uh, pay all of those returns to the people whose skill generated them. And what does that leave for investors? Bloomberg's Nishant Kumar and Liza Tetley report. The priciest multi-strategy hedge funds are now keeping most of the profits they generate, while clients shoulder their costs. Clients received 41 cents of every $1 made by multi-strategy funds that passed on all their costs last year, according to a survey by the prime brokerage unit of BNP Paribas SA. Their share is down from 54 cents in 2021, reflecting a startling new reality where the most popular funds effectively have a blank check for expenses. These funds outperformed peers and most of the wider industry on investment returns. However, gains measured after fees are the lowest among multi-strategy funds. The poll of 238 allocators managing or advising on $1.2 trillion in hedge fund assets found. Yes, right, in the olden days a charismatic manager would take big swings on a handful of stocks and would make a lot of money. Nobody would be sure, or would even ask, how much of the returns were due to the manager's skill and how much were just, like, the stock market went up. But the crude compromise would be that the manager paid herself 2% of assets and 20% of profits and the investors got the rest. In modern multi-manager funds, the fund can say well 59% of this performance is clearly attributable to our skill so we're keeping it. Meanwhile it's not all great for the portfolio managers either. At Business Insider, Bradley Sachs reports, 
Former Point 72 President Doug Haynes is looking to revive a strategy he previously ran for billionaire Steve Cohen for his new fund launch. The Quantumental Strategy, which blends fundamental stock picking and algorithm-based number crunching, was internally known at Point 72 as Idealab while under Haynes and then eventually became Latitude before shuttering in 2020. It's an alpha capture type strategy in which 12 West Palm Beach-based analysts will come up with investment ideas, and a systematic algorithm will create a portfolio based on the ideas and analytical tools that focus on position sizing and risk management. The firm, which hopes to raise $1 billion, has substantial investor interest, according to a spokesman for the firm, and is set to launch on April 1st. If your scientific management determines that the analysts add most of the value and that the portfolio managers can just be automated away, that's what you do. More cell phones. I guess if you ran a business and you invented some new product that you knew would prove essential to every employee of every investment bank, asset manager, and other financial services firm, you might start by selling it to the big banks. The big banks have lots of money and can afford your product. Winning their business will validate your product in the eyes of smaller firms. And you just get a lot of bang for your marketing buck. Big banks have thousands of employees, you probably price your product by the seat, and so you can get a lot of money by selling to a large company. But later, after you saturate that market, you will move on to other, smaller firms. Eventually, you'll get around to charging a two-person hedge fund for two copies of your product. There's still money to be made. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission does various things, but one thing that it does these days is charge financial services firms large fees for using mobile phones. I mean, it doesn't provide the phones or anything. But the SEC has developed a theory that it is illegal for employees of securities brokerages and investment managers to use WhatsApp or personal text messages to talk about work, and it has applied that theory retroactively to fine firms whose employees did that. And since, as far as I can tell, Every single employee of every single securities brokerage and asset manager has at some point at least texted their boss to say, hey, sorry, I'm running late for this meeting. The SEC can more or less fine every financial firm for doing this. It's not exactly a flat per seat fee, but the fines do seem to scale with the size of the firm. And the SEC did start with the big banks because one, they'll pay the biggest fines and two, extracting $125 million each from Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, Boffa Securities, etc., and $200 million from J.P. Morgan definitely validates the business model. If you run some small securities brokerage and the SEC comes to you with its handout because you texted your colleagues, who are you to say no after Goldman paid $125 million? And then it moved on to smaller brokerages and investment banks as well as credit rating firms and is apparently also looking into hedge funds. The fines there are smaller, fewer employees, fewer phones, less money, but it's a reliable business. And so last week, the Securities and Exchange Commission announced charges against five broker-dealers, seven duly registered broker-dealers and investment advisors, and four affiliated investment advisors for widespread and long-standing failures by the firms and their employees to maintain and preserve electronic communications. The firms include Northwestern Mutual, Lincoln Financial, Guggenheim Securities, a bunch of others. The fines ranged from $1.25 million to $16.5 million. There is no suggestion that anyone at any of these firms use their personal phones to do crimes, just that using their personal phones to talk about business is itself illegal. They're going to keep going with this.
Eventually I'm going to be fined $12.95 for texting a colleague about my work. Bill Ackman took the FT's Bill Ackman or American Psycho quiz. I got a perfect score, he tells Reeves Wiedemann at New York Magazine, in a profile that also features a demon child named Ackman who harvests souls for the great demon king. Also quoted in this profile, there's a meme going around that apparently I'm causing a lot of marriages to have trouble. And, I am an extremely fast writer, and I am powered by a profound love that is infinite. And, a WhatsApp group with probably 50 billionaires. I hope they don't talk about work. Things happen. David Solomon strengthens his grip on Goldman Sachs. New York Community Bancorp went from a crisis winner to banking's next worry. Private equity chiefs enjoy $40 billion gain in share value as assets surge. Private equity returns plunge to global financial crisis levels. Diamond back to buy Endeavor for $26 billion in oil mega deal. The priciest shareholder fight ever is headed to Disney's boardroom. HP seeks $4 billion in losses from Lynch over autonomy fraud. A took on $700 million in debt for doomed project ever a spin-off plan. Elon Musk must testify in SEC Twitter probe, court rules. Military medals and a famous last name, how a con man made off with millions in Texas. Six years after Volmageddon, volatility fears resurface in U.S. stocks. It was hugely important to me that investing be the fabric of the novel, not the backdrop. Inside European finance's most secretive society. How companies say layoffs without saying layoffs. The Groucho Marx theory of efficient markets. City tells dealmakers to control their drinking at client events. If you'd like to get money stuff in handy email form right in your inbox, please subscribe at this link. Or you can subscribe to Money Stuff and other great Bloomberg newsletters here. Thanks. Actually, that is the amended complaint after MAFI won the shareholder votes. The first complaint, before the votes, is here. From the initial complaint, Nevada has reformed its laws to free officers and directors from virtually any liability arising from the operation and supervision of their companies. This strategy has allowed Nevada to attract firms with a preference for strong management protection that is not satisfied by Delaware law. It is for this reason that many observers recognize that Nevada sells itself as offering a no-liability regime. As prominent corporate law professor Ann Lipton recently observed, I tell my students, Nevada is where you incorporate if you want to do frauds. Plaintiffs respect the Nevada legislature's prerogative to distinguish its corporate law from that of Delaware and the dozens of legal systems around the world that structure their corporate law on Delaware's model by appealing to fiduciaries who prefer a no-liability regime. But no rational minority stockholder would voluntarily agree to give up the benefits of the duty of loyalty, particularly in a controlled company, where they face an omnipresent risk of self-dealing by a controller who has a history of abusive transactions. Yet that is effectively what Mafe and the other defendants are imposing on their minority stockholders. The crude math there is, Tesla has 3.2 billion shares outstanding, Musk owns 411 million of them, assuming his big options package is cancelled, or 12.9%, and he says he needs 25% control, or another 12.1%. Tesla's equity market capitalization, per Bloomberg, was $616.5 billion as of the close last Friday, Holding that constant, getting him another 12.1% would require transferring $74.6 billion of value from other shareholders to Musk. Alternate math might be, getting him to 25% would require issuing 513 million new shares, since the new shares would change the denominator. Tesla's stock closed at $193.57 on Friday, making 513 million shares worth about $99.3 billion.
This seems wrong, the new shares would be dilutive, but it's more fun to say that he wants a $100 billion pay package.